My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Today we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2. And just to give you a heads up, Habakkuk chapter 2 is also not a sitcom sermon. So if you didn't like last week's message, you're probably not going to like this week's. Welcome to Sunrise. We're here to help you feel glad about yourself. Yes, excellent. Well, if you did miss last week, I just want to give you a, kind of bring you up to speed with the backstory on this guy named Habakkuk. He's, uh, the, his letter that he wrote, his book, is found in what we call the Old Testament of our Bibles, specifically in what are called the Minor Prophets, 12 shorter prophetic words near the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk wrote about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, and he was a different kind of prophet. Most of the prophets spoke from God to the people. Habakkuk spoke from the people to God. And specifically, he said he had this utterance or a message of doom. He's, he's crying out to God, how long, oh God? I, I don't understand. You're, you're, why are you not taking care of those you say you love? Where are you? You're supposed to be a just God, And yet I look around and I wonder, because you don't seem to be doing what I think you ought to be doing. Habakkuk's people, the nation of Judah, they used to be blessed and prosperous. But in Habakkuk's Habakkuk's day, they were experiencing corruption and they were suffering as a result. So Habakkuk cried out to God on their behalf. And and then we learned in chapter 1 that God answered. And he led into his answer with these words, I'm, I'm going I'm to do something amazing. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. And you can imagine Habakkuk saying, all right, here it comes, the answer of God. It's because it's going to be good. My life's going to be blessed. It's going to be great. And then God's message was, I'm going to raise up your enemy, the Babylonians, a people even worse than you are. And I'm going to use them as my instrument to bring justice to you. And to Habakkuk, that made no sense. Just like it would make no sense to us. So chapter 1 was all about Habakkuk wondering. Wondering, God, where are you? Wondering what God was up to. He, was, he had this complaint that he, was, that he had to God, but the key is that he was holding on to God with his complaint rather than walking away. Chapter 1 was about wondering. Chapter 2 is about waiting. Wondering's hard, right? Waiting is even harder because we don't like to Wait. Not only that, but we live in a culture that seems to where, seems where everything is designed to keep us from having to wait, except maybe Comcast customer service, but that's another conversation. 
But think about the different categories of our lives and how it's just the, the technology and things have, have, have come into where we don't have to wait. Take banking. Anybody remember banker's hours, right? This narrow windows of time that you had to go to the bank. Actually, had to go to the bank. At one point, you had to go in the bank, and they invented drive through That was pretty cool, but you still had to go there. And then they invented the ATM machines. I, you know, I'm old enough to still remember when that marvel came out, but you still had to go to it, right? Now, all you need is this. Right? It's pretty amazing. 24 hours a day, you can handle, manage your money, you can move it, you can pay things, you can deposit checks by taking a picture. That one really marvels me. I still wonder how that works. Who wants to wait? Take food. Food. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where you could only eat the food that was grown around you and you could only have it in season. In season? Oh, what, what does that mean? If I want an apple, I want it now, Right? And not only can we now in our culture eat what we want, when we want it, we can have it delivered to our front door. And if, as, as if that isn't enough, did you read recently that Walmart is experimenting? They chose three cities where they're going to experiment delivering your groceries to your refrigerator? Who wants to wait? And speaking of delivering, who remembers ordering something and having to wait a couple of weeks to get what you ordered, right? You know, and it was a marvel when they had two-day shipping, and then FedEx comes with delivery overnight. What a marvel that was. Well, now it's like same-day shipping. They're even coming to where same-hour shipping because we don't like to wait. All these innovations designed because businesses know we don't like to wait. Let me, let me let you in on something. God knows we don't like to wait. He knows. And let's just say he has a different set of priorities than keeping us from having to wait. And we see this in Habakkuk chapter 2. So let's go ahead and dive in. In verse 1, we see this. I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. So this is looking back on chapter one. We left hanging with these doubts, this complaint to God. So what I want to first notice in chapter two is that Habakkuk sets himself in a listening expectant posture. That's easy to overlook, but it is oh so necessary. Notice he positions himself on the watchtower, the most strategic place that he could go to see the God, God's rescue, to hear God's voice. The watchtower was the highest point on the protective walls around Jerusalem. That's where the, the watchmen stood to look, for, look out for the enemies of God or anything happening outside the city. So if you wanted to see God's work that was going to come to pass, you'd wait at the highest place. So secondly, I want you to notice what he was waiting for in answer to his complaint. He complained to God, but he didn't walk away from him. If you were here last week, he learned how Habakkuk's name actually provides the theme for his book. Because it means to embrace and to wrestle. We hang on to God, even as you wrestle and with the doubts about him and refuse to walk away. But let's just admit Sitting in an expectant, waiting posture is hard when you're hurting. When you're hurting, you don't want to wait for God to speak. You want to tell God what he's supposed to be doing. In difficult times, that's where he starts. That's where we start. We need to listen for God rather than telling God. Because our God is a God who speaks. 
First and foremost, he speaks through the Bible. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I beg you to spend as much time, spend every day, spend some time in the Bible so that you can hear and learn what the voice of God sounds like. God also speaks in other ways, through his spirit, right into our soul, through, through the voices of others and community around us. That's why we need each other. Through circumstances, through sermons, through songs, oftentimes through a combination of all of these. But what we can know is that through any means necessary, make no mistake, God will speak to you. And if you don't hear him, don't panic. Because God's silence does not mean he is absent. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. He's always with you. That's the number one promise we have from the Bible. I am with you, God tells us. Listen for his voice. But I also need to be real honest. Sometimes when God speaks, he's going to say something that you don't want to hear, that I don't want to hear, like happened to Habakkuk in chapter 1. So the first thing Habakkuk did is he readied himself to hear from God. In verse 2, we see what God has to say. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. So make sure we're clear about this. Write it down so that you make sure to understand. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end. It will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God says, wait for it. Wondering is hard. Waiting is harder. That's where some of you are right now. God, when will my adult child come back to faith in Jesus? God, when, when will we be able to get pregnant? God, when, the, when, when will you give me that spouse that I long for? When will you stop the migraines? When do I, can I stop with dealing with this depression? When will I get that job with benefits? We're waiting. God tells Habakkuk, the vision is for a future time. And in the Hebrew, that word translated future is a Hebrew word, moed. And it means specifically the perfect, unstoppable timing of God. When it's moed, you can know it's coming. You can count on it. It's kind of like when a baby's going to come, right? Sure, the doctor sets the due date, but that baby's going to come when God decides that baby's going to come, right? We had experience, a little experience with this. We had four, my wife and I had four children, all of them pretty different. They're all in college now, but I remember well each of those stories. They were all so different. With the first one, well, first you need to understand, so my wife and I, we're, we're both type A, we're high achieving, you know, perfectionistic, get her done kind of people, right? So when we found out we were pregnant, we're going to get her done, right? And so my wife says, oh, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to we're gonna do natural childbirth. This is an athletic experience, not a medical experience. We're going to do that. And so we started going to all these classes. They lasted for months. We learned all the exercises and techniques, and we were ready, right? We're ready. The, the contractions start, right? And so we're in it. We're doing the exercises. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And we soon find out that those exercises, they don't make it happen. And so the stress level began to rise because it's like, are we doing anything here? Why isn't this going the way we want it to? And, and so then the doubts start to creep in, right? Is this baby ever going to come? Yeah, is the baby going to come? Right. Uh-huh. Just not in our time, right? So our, our first baby is born, a beautiful baby girl. The next two, our boys, 
we had the opposite problem. Those boys couldn't wait to get out. From the first contraction to the actual birth was only three hours, start to finish. We were playing catch-up that entire time. And in fact, the hardest part of their, that, those birthing experiences was the, just getting to the hospital and, and then dealing with all the hospital stuff that the hospital want to do. You know, hospitals are great when you're in trouble, but when you're know, through a normal pregnancies, actually hospitals are more trouble than they're worth. They just cause more trouble. And so with our fourth one, we decided to skip that part. We had our last one at home on purpose, on purpose. We hired a, a doula, a midwife, and we did that birthing at home, and it was an amazing experience. Still hard, of course, still, still difficult, and yet so much different. We were different. We were more comfortable with it. We were more relaxed with it. And did you know, maybe you know, women, you probably know, but in the birthing process, the, God actually designed your body to have a pause, a rest before the final contractions, the pushing part. We didn't know that. We got there and we kind of panicked a little bit because the contractions completely stopped. My wife took a nap. She woke up and said, this thing's coming out. It's time. I got to hold my baby daughter, first one to touch her. It's a wonderful experience. In the Moed, right? In the perfect, unstoppable timing of God, it will come. Moed, no, you can, when it's Moed, you can know. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. And when it is God's time, you can't stop it. That's Moed. God says, if my answer seems slow in coming, wait patiently. It will surely take place. It will not delay God's promises will not be overdue by a single day because his timing is perfect. I mean, you may be sitting there thinking, but it's taking forever. I don't know if I can wait anymore. It's not happening. So when you're in that waiting zone and you're hanging on to your faith, when you're not seeing anything, when you're getting impatient, when you're wondering and wrestling and waiting, remember, God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. In God's perfect, unstoppable time, his promises will come true. Now, if you spent any time in the Bible, you know this isn't a message unique to Habakkuk, right? You know that. I mean, this is a story that's all through the Bible. Go all the way back to Genesis, to the story of Abraham, right? In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is given a promise. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all the nations through you. You're going to have descendants that are going to number the sands of the seashore. And then it took years, decades even, for him to have one child. What about Joseph? You know the story of Joseph, right? He's, he's one of the, he's the younger guys getting picked on by all his older brothers. He's kind of whining and complaining. God promises him, one day your brothers are going to bow down before you. And he's thinking, cool. But it, it took years, decades for that to come true. And in the meantime, his brothers hear about it and they throw him into a pit and leave him to die. And then he's sold into slavery. And then he becomes a model slave, but he's falsely accused of betraying his master, thrown into prison. He's seemingly abandoned in prison for years until God's moed. And then he's plucked out of prison. He's made the second most powerful man in Egypt. And lo and behold, his brothers come and bow down before him. 
What about Moses? Mighty Mo, right? Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose you. God says, I'm gonna, you're going to rescue my people. You're going to lead my people out of slavery. And when he impatiently tried to do it himself in his own ways, he's banished to the desert and he waits there for 40 years. And then when it is God's time, he leads the nation out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He turned behind him. They look and see all of their enemies just completely wiped out in the, in the, in the sea behind them. I see God's rescue, and then they wander in the desert for another 40 years. Before they arrive at the land, God had promised not only to them, but had promised, if you're counting, 700 years ago before that to Abraham, that was going to be the land that his nation, you know, his children would take possession of. David, the one whom Jesus, or the one, the one, the one God said, this, this one here is a man after my own heart, one of God's favorites says, you're going to be king. 20 years later, he becomes king. All through the Old Testament as well, you hear this whisper, this hint of a Messiah, of a, of a king, of a future king who's going, to, who's going to rule the world, who's going to come and rescue his people. This prophet spoke of it, this prophet, that prophet, all the way through Malachi, the last prophet. Wait for it. Wait for it. God's promise is going to come. He's going to send a rescuer. Wait and then 400 years of silence. Jesus arrives on the scene. He fulfills all of those prophetic words. But the New Testament, the waiting doesn't end. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the death for the sins of all humanity, yours and mine. He rises from the dead, and his followers are thinking, all right, here it is, the king on earth. We're going to rule, right? You're going you're to take control. All right, here we are. Jesus says, no, wait, wait. I'm going to put my kingdom in your hands. You're going to be my witnesses, uh, to and spread my message throughout the world, and then he disappears. His followers first gather together, kind of weepy and moany, you know, and, the, and then the Spirit of God comes and empowers them, and then boom, they spread, and they do take the word of Jesus throughout the whole known world. It's transformed, and part of the message they took to all the world was, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, wait for it, it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it, and then they all died. The second generation reads the letters from the first generation. They get all excited. Jesus is coming back. He's going to got to wait for it. It's going to be worth it. And then they died. And the third generation died. And the fourth, now 2,000 years later, we're still in a place of waiting in the story of God. And Jesus' promises remain unfulfilled. And make no mistake, Jesus' disciples they didn't just kind of wait for God by sipping Mai Tais on the, co- on the coast of the Mediterranean, right? They suffered for Jesus. Take the Apostle Paul. I mean, if there's anybody who ever lived that had claim that God ought to come through for him, it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet you read in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter of Corinthians, you come across this story where he says, I have this thorn in my flesh, this thing that constantly bothers me and, and holds me back. And he prays, he says, three seasons of begging God, pleading with God, please take it away. And God's answer, no. And he adds, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't know about Paul, but if I hear that from God, I'm pushing back a little bit. Really, God, do you know what I have done for you? Do you know what I have endured for you? I mean, Paul, I mean, he could, uh, he, he was whipped. He was beaten. 
He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was lost at sea. He was bitten by snakes. God, he could say, God, I was stoned for you. And not recreationally speaking either. <laughs> Just need to make sure I clarify that in today's world. You're thinking, cool, I want to suffer for Jesus. <laughs> no, different meaning. Just to be quick. Different meaning. Okay. But it's a medical condition. Different meaning. Okay. But you can imagine Paul saying, your grace is sufficient for me. I mean, that's great and all, but I, I don't want your grace. I want your power. Peter, yeah, the one who denied you not once, but three times, he needs your grace. I want your power. Thomas, mister, I got to see it to believe it. You know, he needs your grace. I need your power. Have you ever been there like that? God, where are you? Don't, don't you understand what I've done for you? Where, when are you going to come through for me? And God answers so gently. What you want is not what I'm going to give you. But what I'm going to give you is so much better. Do you ever wonder why God delays? You ever think about that? I mean, just get some kind of cosmic kick out of it. You know, kind of like kids do with the magnifying glass, you know, channel the sun and kill some ants. I, did, I never did that. Is that what's going on? My friends, here's what God knows. And if we're really honest, here's what we know. Waiting expectantly is the most important ingredient for growing our character. Waiting expectantly is the most important ingredient for growing our character. And again, this isn't just in Habakkuk. This is all through the Bible. Just a couple other a couple of examples. We see in the book of Romans where Paul writes, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Anybody, you know, that's what we do, right? When we first encounter a trial, we all rejoice. Yay, right? Yay. For we know that they help us develop endurance. So a mature person knows that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. It's growing our character. We see in James something very similar. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know, our natural reaction course. But a mature person knows, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, here's the part we like, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Can you imagine being there? That's what we long for, and yet we don't like necessarily the path to get there. Hebrews chapter 11 contains what is often called the kind of the hall of fame of faith, right? Story after story of those who lived by faith. And it ends this way. All these people earned a good reputation, good character because of their faith, their trust in God. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. Even when we receive what God gives us, there are still promises yet to be fulfilled. So just to be clear, waiting isn't apathy. It isn't lethargy. When we're waiting, we're acting as if. We're acting as if God's promises are already true. We're acting right now as if all that he has promised us is already true. That's that sense of anticipation. Which brings us to the next verse. The most important verse in Habakkuk in verse 4. 
It says, look at the proud. And in the Hebrew word there, that proud has a sense of prosperity to it. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. The proud or the prosperous, they don't have to wait for God because they have the resources to make something happen. And when they don't have their prosperity, that's when the complaining starts. And my friends, this is, this is deep conviction. This, is, this hits right at the heart of America, where we currently experience more wealth and comfort, pretty much not only in the nation to the world today, but for all of history. Even the poor among us have, have comforts that were unimaginable 100 years ago. God says, my people don't put their trust in their prosperity. They don't put their confidence in their prosperity. My people, the righteous ones, they live by faith. They live by relational trust. They look to me and trust me to meet their needs. You want to know something really cool about this verse? Is when the, when the New Testament writers, those followers of Jesus, as they were trying to understand all, how all the promises pointed to Jesus from the Old Testament, right? This one became kind of a cornerstone, a capstone of, of how they understood Jesus and Jesus' message, the good news. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 uses this again as his foundational argument where, he's, where he wrote this, the good news, the gospel of Jesus tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, as Habakkuk said, it is through faith a righteous person has life. He paraphrases there Habakkuk 2 verse 4. So God's message in the Old Testament God's message in the New Testament, have faith, trust me, wait for me. That's what though the righteous ones, those who live rightly, that's where they live. But you still have an objection, don't you? I know I do. When you're waiting, you still have an objection. In a word, injustice. Injustice. It goes back to that basic cry that goes all the way back to when we were children. The one that, if you're a parent, you know it well. That's not fair, right? That's not right. It's there, isn't it? As I've been talking about waiting, and it kind of gnaws at you. You're telling me, Shane, you're saying that God allows all this injustice around us to grow our character? Doesn't he even care about all this injustice? God answers that objection resoundingly through the rest of chapter 2. Now, I'm not going to read it. I invite you to read that through maybe by this week sometime. It's called the five woes against Babylon. God answers resoundingly. He promises that the, Babylon, that the Babylonians will receive justice because they cho- chose to reject God and his ways. God addressed the Babylonians, but in doing so, he addresses every culture and how every culture turns from God in very similar ways. And more so than every culture, every person turns from God in some similar ways. And so he speaks against pride, arrogance, greed, corruption, manipulation, assault, and at the bottom of it all, idolatry choosing to worship some, something or someone other than the God, creator God. 
So God critiqued the Babylonians and he promised justice in his moed, in his perfect, unstoppable timing. God said, not only do these people deserve justice, they will receive justice in his time. And then chapter two closes with an important reminder. This is where, this is where Habakkuk ends up. He said, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Though it may seem like justice is not happening, though it seems like even God may not exist and that justice will never be served, the Lord, Yahweh, the one who is, remains in his temple. He remains on the throne. He remains sovereign. That doesn't change. No matter what else is going on, that doesn't change. The Apostle Peter in the New Testament echoes this when he wrote this to the early church. He says, The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about keeping his promises, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent, to turn from wherever else they think they're going to find life, and to turn to him, the author of life, the only one who really has life to offer. God has a purpose for the waiting. And what we learn through Habakkuk is that God singularly wants something. And that is this. Through waiting, we learn to surrender. Through waiting, we learn to surrender. God is on his throne, not you. God runs the universe, not you. He decides not you. His timing, not yours. What we can know is that surrender is the only doorway through which God enters our lives. There's no other door. Surrender is the only doorway that God enters our lives. So at this point, at the end of Habakkuk 2, again, it's not a sitcom sermon. There's not a happy place to land but let's say for a moment that you, 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 you stick with me. You say, okay, yes, I believe God is calling me to wait. But I don't like to wait. Not only that, but all the world around me it seems to be designed to keep me from waiting. How do I even learn how to wait? And believe me, it is something we have to learn. So how do you learn how to wait? That's easy. Have children. Okay, if you want another way, I have... Just some simple ideas. First of all, well, simple but not easy. First of all, learn to quiet your mind and body with breathing and mindfulness exercises. Okay, this comes from my counseling training, okay? But it's very true. Breathing exercises, learning to breathe. This is an important reason why breathing is a big part of the childbirth process because shallow breathing actually increases our anxiety, our sense that something is wrong. And so you learn to breathe deeply. Choose to do this multiple times a day. Just stop whatever you're doing and breathe deeply. Let's do it right now. And then you hold it and then 
Did you feel calm? Just a moment calmer, right? It just does that physiologically in our body as well as our mind that gets oxygen in. Now, we can do this as an act of worship. Some of you see the word, especially mindfulness, and you think, wait a minute, that's Buddhist. Wait a minute, that's, that's Eastern mysticism. Wait a minute, Shane, are you telling me, right? And if you Google it, yes, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. But there's also a truth in the habit. And we can use this to worship as well. It's what's, what ancient Christians called breath prayer. And so as you're breathing in, you say, God, I trust you. And then, and so I let out my doubt. God, I believe you are the one who created me. I trust in you. I mean, there's some that just repeat truth as you breathe. So then spiritually and mentally and physically, you're being present in this moment. And mindfulness simply means non-judgmental awareness. You see, we have all these thoughts going all the time. And one reason we like all the noise around us is because it keeps us distracted from the noise within us. And so, instead of spending time dwelling on what has happened or dwelling on what will happen, which is where we spend most of our energy, this just keeps us grounded right here. What's going on right here with our five senses? And then as thoughts come and race in, but what about what happened? Or what about what's going to happen? You just let them go. You don't judge them. You don't even participate in them. You just stay right here. And Psalm 131, it's a powerful psalm. It's a waiting psalm. And in there, David writes, I have learned to calm and quiet my soul. That's what we're learning. I have learned to calm and quiet my soul. And then he gives a powerful metaphor with it. He says, like a weaned child with its mother. Think about that. Like a weaned child with its mother. A weaned child can lay its head on its mother's breast without demanding to be sustained or demanding something. Just rest. Same with us, with God. So first thing is is learn breathing exercises and mindfulness. The second thing is related. It's practice meditation. Again, another fear of, wait a minute, isn't that just, isn't that some Buddhist, isn't that something? And it is, and it's out there, and there's a lot of nasty stuff, but it's also in Psalm 1. These are basic spiritual practices. The question isn't what you're doing, it's who you're directing it to. Okay, so Psalm 1 tells us the righteous one, the one who lives rightly, meditates, dwells on God's law, God's word. And so we dwell on it. We ruminate on it. The word in the Hebrew was, was like a cow chewing its cud. You just picture it out there, and it's just kind of just dwelling on it. So especially when we quiet our minds, we dwell on the truth of God, what God is speaking through his word. The third one, a little more practical, a little more pragmatic, and that's this. Periodically choose the longer line or the slower lane as a spiritual exercise. I'm not saying all the time, but more often than you're comfortable, right? You get to the grocery store, you do, we all do it, right? We get that card out, we get to the, and you look for the shortest line, right? That's what we do. So every now and then you say, I'm going to choose the longer line so I can practice waiting. And my friends, leave your phone in the pocket. Facebook can wait too. Learn to wait and, and interact and trust and believe that God is right here and this moment is important. Same when you get out there in the parking lot known as Highway 26. Choose the slower lane instead of dodging in and out, which you see me doing most of the time, right? Stay in the slower lane as a spiritual exercise. And then you can practice these other two things while you're doing it. I have learned to calm and quiet my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Habakkuk chapter 1 was about wondering 
God, where are you? How long will it take? Chapter 2 is about waiting. These are hard chapters. Now, you know this is a three-week series because there's three chapters, and you're maybe thinking, I don't think I can take another one. (laughs) Well, the good news is that after the wondering and after the waiting, Habakkuk will invite us to worship. So I invite you to come back next week and to hear the rest of the story and to be invited to worship, but not in the way you might expect. It's better than that. Would you pray with me? Father, we receive your care. We receive and put our trust, even as we doubt that you are good. We put our trust in your goodness. We believe it by faith. So would you help us? I, right now in this room, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of us who are saying, how long? God, where are you? Cling to us, God, as we cling to you. Help us to put our trust in you, to wrestle, but to hold on and to refuse to walk away, to believe that you have something good for us right here. And I pray that, believing in the name of Jesus, who holds all the promises. Amen.